0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from NextReel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The NextReel. We are here, Pete. We are closing out Jon Favreau's 2008 film
1: Iron Man. Holy cow. Ugh, Andy, are you going to be able to make it through? Did you bring tissues?
0: <laughs> and iron man's uh 11th birthday was just uh, a couple days ago from the ah. date we're recording so yeah 11 years old this film is um but you know we're looking at the very end of the film and we have a special guest to talk uh with us today it is alex robinson from star wars minute hey alex welcome hello there
1: wait I was a little obi-wan oh i'm sure everyone thought it was gonna be nick fury <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> alex looks around <laughs> nope just me no nick fury
2: I'm here to recruit you guys for the minute initiative that we're putting together with all the best of the minute hosts.
0: We're not the only superhero out there. I love it. Uh, Yes, on today's show, we are looking at 126, minute 126 of Iron Man. The minute starts with the MPAA stamp of approval, and it ends with the Marvel Studios logo. But uh, let's be honest, we're really here to talk about what's in, in between those things, right? Yes. That's right. This is the first of our post-credit sequences uh, right out of the gate. They kick us off with uh, a doozy. We have uh, a little bit of uh, Tony Stark and uh, walks into his house and discovers that he's got a visitor, as, uh, as Alex alluded to. Yes,
1: good old Nick Fury has shown up. Did did you guys? Now I know Andy. You always stay to the very end of the movie. <laughs> I am a credits watcher. You're yes. a credits watcher. Alex, are you a credits watcher? Did you know this was to stay uh, back when the movie came out? Uh,
2: I don't think I. I didn't see it until it had been out. I, I was not a first. Um, I was not an early adapter, so um, I knew that there. When going in, I knew there was going to be a okay. post credits uh, scene. Otherwise, I would have. I generally bolt as soon as the uh, first uh, credits. Pop up, so I mean the opening credits. Right? Yeah, yeah,
1: right. Well, and I think that's 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 me too. I'm not generally, or at least I wasn't generally, a credits watcher, and so uh, I, I I saw it only the second time, probably because Andy told mm-hmm. me to stay. <laughs>
2: I'm still in the fence of whether know. or not it's worth sitting there for five minutes listening to to the music to have like uh, literally 15 seconds of just you know the Winter Soldier eating a sandwich or something like that. Wow,
0: that was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they yeah, certainly yeah. have turned it into a thing because of this. And I know some of the other franchises have kind of toyed around with with the whole concept, like, oh, do we need to have one too? Should we be doing this? I know it's something that the DC universe has kind of danced with, and you've, you know, they actually have to, like, make it part of their press tour. Don't worry, we don't have a, a post-credit sequence, you don't have to stay. It's so funny how it's turned into this whole thing now. And uh, yeah. it was always such a rarity when movies had something after the credits. I feel like The first one that I knew of was probably Ferris Bueller. Yeah. And then it was just kind of a random thing when there was kind of a little nod to the film at the very end of the credits. It was it was pretty rare. um, But again, being kind of a credits watcher, I was always kind of secretly thrilled when I'd be watching the credits and I'd get this little scene and it'd be like me and like maybe one other person in the theater. (laughs) We'd be like, we're the only ones who know about this secret. It was great. And now it's like this whole thing. And uh, it cracks me up now when you're watching a movie. And it's a big franchise movie. And all these people stay after the credits, kind of hoping that there's going to be something. And then there's just like this massive outcry of disappointment um, in not in Marvel movies, but in other ones when they're like, oh, man, there's nothing here. It's like this whole thing now. It's great. Do you guys remember seeing many movies before uh, all this started? That I mean, Did you guys stay for end credits ever to watch something that you knew was there? Uh,
2: I think Airplane, maybe. That was the first time I ever experienced a post-credits scene. Yeah, that was pre-First Doer. Yeah. It also has funny credits in the credits, so it gives you something to stick around for, besides just an endless list of digital
1: uh, babies that were born during the yeah. shoot. You know? I, so, I uh, did not remember this, but the first one that I, I can't believe I didn't remember, this. this is one of my very favorite movies when I was a kid, is the Muppet movie in 1979 had a Mm post-credits scene i don't even remember what it was was uh but it it should be and then yeah airplane in 1980 and then um 1987 masters of the universe (laughs) skeletor's head emerges from the water at the bottom of a pit saying i'll be back (laughs) that's an auspicious uh post-credits scene yeah and then uh, ferris bueller's day off very early now everyone does it
0: I feel like the planes, trains, and automobiles one kind of had a little bit of a... It reminded me of the airplane one a bit. Because wasn't it the... Well, the airplane one was the guy still in the taxi who was yes. looking at his watch. He's like, I'm going to give him one more minute or something like that, right? Yeah. Yep. Something yep. like that, yeah. And then planes, trains, and automobiles, I think was... Well, I guess it was kind of different. It was the... It was the... Like the the boss still looking at the... The pictures like he never actually got up from his desk and he's been looking at the uh, artwork that uh, Steve Martin gave him before he ran out to run home for the
1: holidays right right
0: it's just like a guy sitting
1: there <laughs> the uh, the first one actually was before the Muppet movie the silencers I have not seen this movie. Uh, Matt Helm lounges on the bed with several scantily clad women while overlaying text reads, Coming up next, Matt Helm meets lovely Kravazit in Murderer's Row. Never even seen that movie. Nope. I haven't either. 1966 for connoisseurs of post credit scenes. Oh, wow. Well, there you go.
2: I feel like also um, the 90s were the time where the post uh, credits TV show thing first started happening. Post-credits TV show? I can't think of one. Uh, I feel like Roseanne used to do it all the time where the credits would go and then they would have a little scene after the credits. Sometimes it was like like big dramatic stuff <laughs> yeah I mean? and, but most of the time it was just kind of like a like a gag refer you know uh, but um but sometimes yeah. they would have yeah. like genuine like plot developments in the right. post-credits scene
0: i feel like that was something that they started like i i can't picture uh one in particular but i do feel like i've remembered them like at the end of a season like end of the credits and then you've got like a little Tag at the end of the credits. That's kind of a hint for what's coming next season.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah.
0: What's really funny about this, uh, this, uh, this little sequence that we have here is that it actually was not originally at the end uh john favreau when he first cut the film he was up at skywalker ranch mixing it and he had it uh you know the credits start and it's it's like that animated bit it's kind of got all the cool little um, bits from the movie and it's the main credits before kind of the bulk of the rest of the credits start and then so it was kind of a mid-credit sequence it was right after the animated credits and then this dropped in there and he was up there and edgar wright happened to be there and they kind of had this Marvel uh, kind of, uh, you know, the two of them kind of came out of the gate together with Marvel before uh, Edgar Wright ended up not getting to do any of the MCU films. But Edgar Wright watched it and he said, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And he said, but the only thing, just move that last scene, put it at the very end of the credits. And John Favreau was like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah put it at the end. Let people miss it. And John Favreau was like, "What, really?" <laughs> and so, but he kind of liked the idea, and so he did. And Marvel wasn't keen on it, but um but what happened is word got out that it was at the very end, and people kept coming back to go see that that they had missed it the first time. And John Favreau said that he thinks it actually ended up being responsible for about another ten million dollars at the box office. Wow, sheesh! So, uh, I guess in that particular case, it worked out pretty well for them. What well, year? So, Linerman wow. came out in oh eight. Yep. Yep, 2008.
2: So the internet was around then. Yeah. People didn't just go home and look at it on YouTube or something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I I you know, they they probably could have. I'm sure somebody probably went in you're and, gonna and see it again anyway, filmed it with well, their phone. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah but uh yeah it's a it's it's a really fun little scene and it's a nice uh nice way to kind of uh hint to everybody. I mean we already had shield and everything so we knew that there was a bigger world that they were creating with this film. But the fact that uh Sam Jackson shows up as Nick Fury and he says, you know, I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger initiative. It's just one of those things that uh that is a great way to kind of create this bigger universe. Very uh in a very quick line yeah did did you guys alex did you know much about the avengers before uh before this and and kind of tracking these guys as characters uh
2: yeah i was um i went through a superhero phase when i was a uh a lad um and uh so it and i've kind of you know i'm also in addition to being a uh, award-winning Podcaster, I'm also an award-winning cartoonist. And so I, I kind of had my hands in both, uh, you know, I was kind of keeping tabs on the superhero scene and stuff. I knew that someone had written and drawn the comic with Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury. And that's what sparked them to get Nick Fury for the movie. Right. So it's kind of a weird... Uh, no, cart before the horse kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a funny twist because uh, Nick Fury originally was uh, was a kind of a white character with uh, you know kind of the gray sideburns. Uh, he first appeared in Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos back in May of 1963, created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. And uh, you know, I mean, looking at that uh, those comics, I mean, it's it is a very early. Uh, kind of just a kind of World War II fight the Nazis sort of thing, mm-hmm. very much in the in the vein of Captain America and kind of that whole world. In fact, I, I'm going to blank on the guy's name, but, you know, the the Irish guy who was fighting with Captain America in in that movie, who kind of wears the bowler hat. Dum Dum mm-hmm. Yeah, he's yeah. he's uh, one of Sergeant Fury's guys that he's fighting with in that first issue. One of the howling commandos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then, yeah, you're right. Uh, it was in the Ultimates when they came out with the Ultimates in 2001. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Mike Allred, they had modeled the character after Samuel L. Jackson. In fact, to the point where they actually even reference it in the comic. And they actually have a line in there where uh, he says something. I, and I, I can't remember what it is, but it's something like You know, they're talking about who would play them in, in a movie adaptation of themselves. And he's just like, oh, Mr. Samuel L. Jackson, of course, no discussion weird yeah so it's, it was a very weirdly meta kind of <laughs> transition to to make the character uh, modeled after samuel l jackson even mention it in the comics and then have the the film team say let's let's cast samuel l jackson to play the role <laughs> <laughs> it would have been funny if they got like a poor man samuel jackson to <laughs> <like they> got. <laughs> <laughs> who would the the poor man samuel l jackson be who would that be Courtney B. Vance,
1: <laughs> Courtney B. Vance.
0: <laughs> well, Wesley Snipes. That's what I was going to say.
1: Wesley Snipes. That would be. You're absolutely right. That would be it. So, is he is he done with his tax
0: troubles? Is he still having tax troubles? Do you guys know? I thought he was. I thought he was out of jail. I think. I don't know if he still owes money or uh,
1: something. Wesley,
0: I don't know what's happened to him. Uh, what's been going on with him? I just remembered he uh, was convicted for his income tax issues and. Uh, I kind of lost track of him after that.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not much of a snipe's head myself, so uh, I I feel like I wasn't really tracking him before then. Uh, according to the, the Wikipedia, he was released from prison in
2: 2013. So he's been out of prison for six years now. Okay, well, hey, there you go. Yeah.
0: But uh, he went in right before this, so I don't think he could have played the role,
1: unfortunately. It was funny. I remember being blown away by the fact that this was Samuel L. Jackson. I did not know. I hadn't heard that it was coming. The last thing, I, I guess the last big thing that I knew about Samuel L. Jackson was that he was Mace Windu. And so that I was and I saw snakes on a plane as a gag. And since apparently he sort of did it as a gag like it's it, that was fun black snake moan i thought was crazy and then to see him in the nick fury get up knowing the the sort of history that he has with nick fury, i was I, I was shaken uh when i saw this the the first time i remember being this is this is going to be a big deal um uh, one of those moments,
0: Alex. Were you uh, much of a Samuel L. Jackson fan? I know, obviously, he's uh, been uh, in a number of your conversations around Star Wars, but other than that, I mean, were you uh, a fan of his? Uh,
2: you, well, yeah. I mean, I guess I I like him in in some things. He does so many movies that it's not like I rush out and see every Samuel L. Jackson movie. But I think he's he's good. You know, I love Pulp Fiction. I love them in. Uh, you know, I guess a lot of the Quentin Tarantino movies he he's in. Right. Uh. So yeah. Uh, he's he's a solid, dependable, uh, you know, actor. You know what you're getting. He's a known commodity. You know what you're getting when Truly. you see when you see Samuel Jackson. On um, in fact, my brother did not like Samuel Jackson being in Star Wars because he said it was just too distracting. Like he just kept seeing that as Samuel Jackson, you know, being a tough guy. Uh,
0: well, which is an interesting point because I mean I think that certainly is uh, you know something that's cropped up in uh, in other Star Wars films and. I'm trying to think if that's come up in, in the Marvel films uh, much, like if there's been an actor who's been cast in any of these films that in kind of a smaller role where people are like, oh, why did they cast him? He's way too distracting in that role. I feel like um, Laura Dern is like the next one in the Star Wars franchise that really kind of had people up in arms about her popping up in a, in, in a role where people like, you know, it seemed very divisive to have her pop up the way she did. I'm trying to think, has that happened in the Marvel franchise much more? I don't feel like it has I think I think in Star
2: Wars it stands out more because um, Star Wars generally likes to cast unknowns as their leads or, or little known people. So, yeah, so it's, yeah. it's very yeah. distracting when the person playing the waiter is more famous than the person playing the hero in the movie. But Marvel tends to go for big names for their uh, for their people. So it's not as much of a doesn't seem like much of an issue. Sure.
1: The one that stands out for me, if there is one that stands out and it feels like a bit of a reach, but it's Natalie Portman and Thor. I remember seeing Thor and thinking this is a weird casting decision. She's like too big, too indie. I, I don't know. It just didn't feel right. uh to me that she she was in that so if there's anything but but that's an interesting point because I don't feel like Sam Jackson is at all a reach in the Marvel Universe and I'm with your brother like he he was kind of a stretch for me as Mace Windu in Star yeah. Wars hmm.
2: I mean I guess uh, I guess I would say that um, I assume there's no what's the rule of spoilers in this on the show
0: I mean if 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 it's happened in this film then we're fine and if it's been a comic book related thing but I mean at this point we we break the rules all the time, so. Well,
2: okay then. I'll, I'll say you can edit it out if you want to. Uh, sure. I thought I thought uh, Jeff Goldblum in Thor was borderline. Like, okay, is this Jeff ah, Goldblum? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was great, but I could see how it could also be distracting because he's clearly playing like a very Jeff Gold like. As Jeff Goldblum always plays a very Jeff Goldblumy kind of character.
1: I I can see that too. Like you, if if you don't. I really love Jeff Goldblum and, and I think that's a I, I still get why some would respond that way I think he's so great in, in that role because he's Jeff Goldblum in that right. role Yeah, uh, but man if you don't truck with Jeff Goldblum that's hard to watch
0: I think he works because of the Taika Waititi comedy level in that film like if it wasn't Taika Waititi like if, if Kenneth Branagh was directing that film like he did the first one mm-hmm. uh, then I feel like the Jeff Goldblum factor would have been too much for me Uh, But because of the rest of the comedy around it, I think I ended up not having a problem with it. Yeah, I agree with that. What's interesting about this scene is Robert Downey Jr. um, when when Favreau told him that they were going to be shooting some additional small scenes to kind of you know do some nods for the Marvel fans and everything. Uh, At the time, he said, you know, you're also going to be shooting one for for Hulk too because that was shooting at the same time, and uh, so he was going to do both of these. But then John Favreau said, but it does involve you know your house getting broken into, and and. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was like, are, are you kidding? After everything I've gone through, why haven't I done something with my security? It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and and Favreau's like, well, it's S.H.I.E.L.D. that broke in. And he's like, it still doesn't make any sense. And then Favreau said, well, Sam Jackson's going to do it, so you're going to do it. <laughs> 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 and that was kind of his reasoning. And he's like, okay, I can't argue with that, I guess. Yeah. It's Samuel L. Jackson. So I did write that down in
2: my notes. Is that, yeah, in universe, I was wondering how did he, on earth did he break into this multi billionaire's house? And also, how does Tony Stark not know who Nick Fury is? Like, S.H.I.E.L.D. must be his biggest client to buy technology and stuff. He doesn't know <laughs> the head of the, the biggest, they have a helicopter flying around Manhattan for crying out loud. It's not like a <laughs> secret organization.
0: Well, what's funny about that is like he like when Shield first pops up, like he seems to have no idea who Shield is, and yeah. yet in the in the universe we've learned that his father was deeply involved with Shield, um, and in the comics, obviously he was too. Uh, so it is kind of a funny a funny thing that they've kind of set this thing up where he has no idea clearly who Shield is the way that it's introduced in the film. So I don't know. It's an it's an odd point of the story that I think. Uh, uh, you know, when you think about it too much, it just kind of doesn't end up working. But
1: Well, it doesn't this fall in the same rule set around like characters who don't know helicopters are coming if the helicopter isn't on screen, like they can't see what is immediately outside of frame. Like that's kind of it. Robert Downey Jr. or or Tony Stark doesn't know that S.H.I.E.L.D. exists until he's framed with the logo or a shield character and then suddenly he's allowed to know they exist i feel like there's a sort of in-frame awareness rule that has mm, to go into play I like that it, yeah. he, right because uh otherwise it doesn't make any sense not at all now, i guess you can kind of write it off as a character thing where that that demonstrates his disconnect from stark industries as the one who runs the company like he is the the nutty professor who just invents stuff and has no idea who the clients are early in the film like we can kind of we we could make a case there that seems like a stretch
0: well i feel like they've made that case from the beginning you know i mean it seems like obadiah stain is the one who really ran everything and he was just kind of you know not really paying attention to what was going on with the company just you know having fun inventing things and gambling
2: or he's so, just playing dumb because he doesn't want Nick Fury to know that he knows who <laughs> Nick Fury
0: is. So. <laughs> right, right. right. That yeah. could be it, too. <laughs> yes. no,
1: I mean, he does have, like, the, the Captain America shield hanging out down in his uh, workshop. So, Well, and that, yeah, that's the ultimate problem, right? If he really doesn't know who shield is, how does he know who Captain America is? Right. Who carries a shield? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never watch this movie one minute at a time. <laughs> what 's funny is they
0: when they filmed this scene, um, they did it super secretively because they didn 't want anybody to know it was a, just a skeleton crew they shot it on a Saturday. And uh, Favreau said, and then the secret got out the next day. No, nobody kept it a secret. <laughs> and so what he did to combat that is they, they struck the scene from every screening print that went out. And even the premiere of the movie did not include the scene. So people were very confused. They're like, I thought there was another scene. But uh, it wasn't on it until it actually opened wide. So it's kind of a fun little fun uh, little really way to fun. play with everybody.
2: Yeah. Was that briefly a gimmick to get people to go back to movies? Wasn't that the thing where they like, oh, they released a movie and okay, now they release it, but like it's a week later, but they've added like one little bit at the end? Am I making that up?
0: Yeah, it, that they've done that, and I kind of forgot they did. It wasn't with this one, but um, gosh, I feel, oh, I feel like feel
2: like Incredibles Disney? or Toy Story or yeah, something. Yeah,
0: I, I I don't hmm. know if it was those, but I I but you're right, it was Disney, and I feel like they did release like one of their animated films that were like now with a new scene or something like that. What was that? I don't know. That's going to bug me now, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure you're right, or or like a new short film or something. Yeah. <laughs> how do you Google that? Well, um, I don't know if I have much more for the scene. Uh, what about you guys?
1: Well, I it wasn't you had a note in here about Favreau and this idea of how far ahead they pre-plan this kind of stuff, and I think that quote is particularly telling.
0: Well, is it so? So Favreau says, uh, "See, we don't think about this stuff while we're doing it. That's what nobody knows. You're just trying to bail water out of the boat."
1: I love that because, especially now that we're you know 22 movies in, everything feels like such you know amazing um, alignment of cogs and gears and wheels and and things to make this whole sort of universe come together, uh, and and I think we. We take for granted now just how much, you know, water bailing there was going on on set and and where are these brilliant ideas and brilliant setups, you know, appear today or just synchronicity and kismet uh, 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, I believe it. It's really interesting how these things come together. And I mean, just kind of speaking to the way that these things unfold, like I think it was Louis uh, Leterrier, Letter- is that how you say his name? yeah. The director yeah. of The Incredible oh. Hulk there was an article that we had found where he is the one, or he says, you know, I uh, the whole idea of doing this uh, crossover. Um, he's the one, he, he said, I begged Kevin Feige uh, when I knew that Robert got cast. I was like, we have to do crossovers. It's the future of movie making. Now that you have this, I was the one to beg them to do the crossover. They said, Robert's going to be tough to convince, you know, and all that stuff and everything. So eventually I got to talk to Robert and we liked each other and he said, okay, I'll come for I've got five hours that day. Let's shoot in LA. We we're on the way back from brazil about to go to the north pole to shoot the opening sequence uh with one day in la and iron man was doing reshoots and so uh so he came in and so it's it's kind of funny that uh it was LeTerrier who really kind of dropped out of the franchise and his hulk film is is largely seen as kind of the one that doesn't feel the most like it's part of the family but he's the one who kind of pushed for crossovers and look what it's done
2: look where we are now yeah, that's pretty amazing. And now they got Robert Downey Jr. showing up everywhere. Like <laughs> Spider-Man, he's in all these uh, all these uh... I for the record, I did, I don't like that Spider-Man has a mechanical
0: Iron Man suit. I don't like that. No. So you weren't a fan. Of, did have you seen Endgame yet? I did see Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, with all the legs and then he's got the instant kill mode and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like okay.
2: I mean, I guess you got to power him up if he's going to be competing on a cosmic level. But uh,
0: did did that happen in the comics? Because I was trying to remember if if he ever did have an Iron Spider suit. I'm sure at some point or another it happened. (laughs) I mean, every every combination of characters is probably
2: happened by this point. But uh, (laughs) not my Spider Man. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) It's not mine. Not my
0: Spider Man. Right. Get off my lawn, and that somebody hashtag
1: that. Yeah.
0: Uh, so you were you were a reader of comics though uh, right Alex you uh, did you um, uh, were you keeping up with the comics and the films or where where was your line with all of these movies as they were coming out
2: uh, by this time I was pretty much only just doing the movies um, uh-huh. just because uh, I, I had lost track of superhero comics occasionally I'd read something like I read um, the uh, the uh, ultimates which kind of uh, was really the sort of I think that probably the biggest inspiration for the Avengers movies and and so on. Um, I would read stuff that people suggested to me to check out, but uh, you know, I will always have a, uh, I I guess I still have enough of the knowledge where I can, when they throw in deep cut references, you know, like, Oh, they'll, they'll mention, you know, some obscure character, you know, in a folder or something. I'll be like, Oh, I know he's the fixer. And, you know, and that kind of of (laughs) nerd, uh, you know, nerd and endorph- endorph- endorphins get going but, uh, <laughs> but i haven't really kept up that much
0: with the current stuff um so that's just so about the movies were you keeping up with all the movies as they came out
2: um i was at first and then i kind of um i started to tell myself i'm like well you know what i i might just be that i really just don't like superhero movies very much because i always found them kind of like boring by the end like when it comes down to two, two CGI guys beating up on each other, like, I, I don't know, it just, it just, too many of the Marvel movies these days seem to end with them fighting endless armies of gray CGI monsters that are, you know, utterly disposable and stuff. So, um, uh, but then I think uh, a friend of mine, I be, became friends with this guy and he was really into them and I was like, all right, I'll go, I'll go watch some of these movies. And, uh, that was when uh, I got back. I started getting back more into it. And I loved Thor Ragnarok. And I was like, I want all the Marvel movies to be like this from now on. And uh, <laughs> so that's pretty much when if I see a Marvel movie, you can tell how much I like or just like it compared to how much it reminded me of uh, of Ragnarok. So so it's uh,
0: got to have that, that peak levels of comedy for you.
2: I have a hard time taking superhero problems very seriously uh, just because, <laughs> like, ultimately, it's like at some point this person is like, you know what I should do? I should put on pajamas and fight crime. Like, no person <laughs> thinks that. So, like, there's always a certain level of, like, this is just silly.
0: Why do you have a cape? Oh, right. You know. That Were you a fan funny. of the, uh, the kick-ass movies then? Yeah,
2: I thought the kick. I didn't see the second one. I thought the first one was uh, was was a lot of
0: fun. Yeah because I think that kind of takes it and spins it a little bit in a different different direction.
2: Yeah, that's true. And in fact, nowadays I'm more uh when I quit reading superhero comics, it was because I hated all the fight scenes and uh and I wanted more character development and now at this end of things like I don't like the character development. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked I liked um Infinity War more than I liked Endgame because Infinity War had a lot of those comic book like oh look it's dr strange fighting iron man and that kind of weird uh, you know it's a tradition in superhero comics anytime two superheroes meet who don't know each other they have to fight immediately until they realize that they're on the same side uh,
1: (laughs) that's right welcome a new dog to the dog park you're gonna get the same thing
2: (laughs) yes exactly so uh, so endgame didn't have as much of that so i
0: didn't like it as much i see gotcha We've been doing the um, the IMDb game with our guests about mm-hmm. uh, the the new actors who have popped up, and this is our chance with Samuel L. Jackson, since this is the only time he shows up in the film. Um, are you familiar with the IMDb game at all? No. Please, well, I am, but maybe tell the listeners in case they, guess they don't know. Sure. So the IMDb game, um, IMDb lists four films at the top of each actor's page that it says that they are known for. And IMDb, of course, uses a, an algorithm that nobody quite understands to mm-hmm. pick the four films that uh, that it lists for them. So, Alex, if you had to guess, what would you say are the four films that IMDb says uh, Samuel L. Jackson is known for?
2: Oh, boy. Um, My first guess would be Pulp Fiction.
0: OK. All right. Oh, you don't tell me if it's right or not. Uh, I'm not going to say until you give me four. <laughs> okay. Uh, in
2: that case, I will say Pulp Fiction. I will say it fitted. No, he's barely in Infinity Gauntlet. So is it just? It has to be yeah, a movie that they're trouble.
0: prominently featured in, right? You never. It's it's a very obscure thing, and and uh, I mean normally it is, but uh, but uh, not all the not all the time. All right,
2: I'll say Pulp Fiction, Avengers classic, episode one of Star Wars okay and ant-man and the wasp i think he's in that one ant-man that, he has got to be an ant-man right
0: <laughs> uh, uh, i don't i don't think he was he an ant-man i don't think he's an ant-man i don't it's, think he's an
1: ant-man all right then
0: let's say winter soldier i know he's in that one he's, uh, yes, he's right? in okay. winter soldier yes.
2: okay there you go those are my four choices
0: Interestingly, he does not have a single film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe representing, represented in his top four. Hmm. All right. But, but does he have a Star Wars represented in his he top four? He does not have a Star Wars film in there either. There, are hmm. they all Tarantino movies? It is It is not, but there's one that is the one that's thrown in as the surprise. We have Pulp Fiction, so there's no surprise with that one, I think. Mm-hmm. The Hateful Eight, which is uh, his newest film that's on the list. Um, are you going to say Snakes on a Plane, Andy? I am. Snakes on no! a Plane <laughs> is number three. Wow. <laughs> and then Jackie Brown is number four. So that's, that's the four, four that IMDb has. Ah, I love Jackie Brown, too. It's a great movie.
2: Wow. So no wow. no
0: Nick Fury. No Nick Fury and no Mace Windu. Hmm.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah, kind of an odd list. IMDB. Well, he is in a lot of stuff, to be
2: fair. I mean, those are all recognizable things, except maybe the hateful eight.
0: How how many
1: credits does he have? Do you still have the page open? Yeah,
0: he has 130 credits right now up on uh, IMDb. So he's uh, you know, he's been a busy boy, and that's just that's just his movie acting credits. He has TV, video game. I mean, there's plenty of other yeah. things that he's been involved in. So Capital One commercials.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Capital One. Get... <laughs> what is in your wallet? <laughs> well,
0: that would be uh, that would be sad if that was if it was down to his Capital One commercial appearances. <laughs> that's one of the things he's known for. <laughs> Well, Alex, uh, so you haven't seen all the films of the MCU, but you've seen a number of them. Do you think you have a, do you have a ranking of, of any of them? I know that you like Infinity War more than Endgame, but what about any of the others? Would you have a favorite?
2: I think I've seen, I've seen a a bit of every one of them. So so some of them I've seen the whole thing. Some of them I've seen uh, chunks of, um... So what? So the question is: to rank them all.
0: Uh, all twenty-two. Okay. Start at the bottom. Attack of the Clones. <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, but of the of the ones that you've seen that you really like, I mean, do you have a top five? Would you say? All right. I'll say Ragnarok.
2: Obviously, I already explained that one. I'll yeah. say um, Infinity War. Oh, okay. And then uh, I guess maybe Black Panther. That's a good one. Oh, you know what? I haven't seen the Spider-Man movie, and everyone tells me that that's really good.
1: Yes, that's accurate. So I, I'll put that as number three. Seeing.
2: I remember liking the first Thor when I saw it, but it's been a while.
0: Thor, Thor is a divisive character, but uh, you know his films are divisive. But I'm kind of I I'm partial for, to the first one too. I think at the time I was really going through a big
2: Jack Kirby phase, and well, I'm still going through a Jack Kirby phase. But uh, I like the fact that it was kind of. Pompous and uh, you know the complete ap- opposite of Ragnarok. It was took itself very seriously and, and so uh, At least that's how I remember. Yeah, it, but, uh, yeah.
0: Well, Kenneth Branagh was directing it like it was one of his uh, Shakespeare films. I think, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: yeah. Then after that, it becomes kind. Of, I guess Avengers, classic Avengers. Okay. Uh, they all just kind of become a mishmash after that. Like you know bits and pieces that I like. I love the big battle in Civil
0: War. Where does Iron Man fall on your list? Is it is it one that uh, you're partial to, or is it kind of uh, kind of one that you're not so uh in love with, it's been a
2: long time since I've seen it, but I remember liking it at the time i i uh this is gonna sound like blasphemy, but I have very mixed emotions about Robert Danny jr, oh really, yeah, just sometimes he just comes across as just a little too like smarmy for me i like he, he skirts that edge of being like charismatically like a glib, smart guy kind of a thing and sometimes i like it and sometimes i don't like it so uh, so that's the problem i have with the iron man movies
0: interesting
1: it's a a funny thing too i think watching so much press now about you know iron man as a character and and what happened in endgame and seeing robert downey jr uh, it it feels so much like he I, i mean he has taken on the role of tony stark as his as Robert Downey Jr. in real life, I, I find that a little bit strange. Like when you see him talking about the movie as Robert Downey Jr., he feels now inseparable from the character of Tony Stark. It's it's that guy, and I don't. I I, I guess I'm the thing I'm most excited about for Robert Downey Jr. as an actor post Endgame is to see him in stuff that isn't Marvel again, uh, because you know I I love some of his earlier you know work that was so exciting and kiss kiss bang bang and you know let's see more of that kind of stuff and see if he remembers how to how to not be tony stark for a couple of films
2: yeah maybe that's what it is it just seems like he's kind of like playing himself or it's it's yeah i don't don't know what it is about it but uh,
0: i think it's envy that's an interesting point. How he really kind of the, the the way that Tony Stark ended up being. I mean, he was very he the the performance of Tony Stark ended up being very different from the way he was written in the in the comics. He was wasn't nearly as smarmy or ironic, and was just kind of a you know regular guy and. even the comics kind of adapted the Tony Stark character to be much more Robert Downey Jr. like after this film came out. And so it's interesting how he has kind of morphed the character into a whole new persona. And I think you're right. I mean, really, a lot of his persona of of Robert Downey Jr.'s persona has been imbued in this character. And uh, so it will be interesting to see what he ends up doing um, now that he's kind of uh, moving on from the uh, Marvel franchise. But And it is something I can totally see, like if if you kind of aren't a fan of kind of that uh, kind of ironic, uh, you know, kind of that smarmy sense of humor and the way that he kind of plays the character, um, I can see why it wouldn't be uh, a character that you would be as interested in. So I I get it.
2: I think actually the the, the, I think the funny parts of the parts I like of the when he's playing smarmy, but when he plans to play sincere. That is when Mm -hmm. it gets into real trouble like that Iron Man 3 where he like adopts an orphan kid and stuff like that. Like, what on (laughs) earth is that
0: about? I assume you guys are going to get to that eventually. Eventually. Definitely taking on kind of the the Bruce Wayne role with uh, that was his Robin. (laughs) Right, Right. That
1: was his Robin.
0: So that was one that I did not watch
2: the entire movie. Whatever wound up happening with that kid
0: uh well he uh he got a bunch of toys yeah he Mm -hmm. he kind of what does he do he helps tony kind of get himself back in shape and and get back into the fight and then yeah at the end tony gives him a whole garage of of things to work with and stuff and then he just
1: disappears and then we see him showing up in endgame and he's at
0: at the end of endgame okay yeah he must have been really jealous
2: once when Peter Parker showed up, and now suddenly Peter Parker's giving him, he's giving Peter Parker, like, suits
0: and inviting him to go on exciting adventures and stuff.
1: Exactly.
0: I want to see that now. I want to see him become a villain for Spider-Man.
1: That's right. We need a whole, like, Mickey Rourke suit up kind of thing. But it's that kid, you know, he's watching from his little garage. Right. He liked uh, me first. He did.
2: Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark. One thing that I uh, think is interesting about Star Wars and I would really love for the Marvel Universe to do this is that because Star Wars doesn't like reboot, at least not yet, um, you can have those Man. kind of like long stories where someone who was young in one story is now old and so on. And uh, I i hope Marvel doesn't reboot because obviously Spider-Man is they rebooted every six months. I think they have to they have, like, yeah. contractually obligated to yeah, him and yeah. the Joker every six months. But it would be interesting to see, actually, like if they did another movie 20 years from now and actually had Tony Stark's, you know, former orphan, be the bad guy and, you know, call back to all that stuff. But I feel like by that time, they'll be like, well, we need a new, new Avengers for the new generation. And now we have, you know... All these kids on YouTube are now playing the Avengers.
1: Well, it's it, it's interesting that you that you bring that up because now it feels like we have an opportunity, maybe for that, right? We have kids of some of these characters. We have Morgan Stark. We have mm-hmm. uh, Hawkeye's daughter. Yeah. Like all of these who in the Scott comics Lang's are Scott Lang's daughter. Scott yeah. Lang's daughter. They they all have uh, fodder for you know future properties because you know it it's all in canon. Everything's yeah. in canon, and they've already gone through the trouble of doing this big orchestrated continuity it
2: seems such a shame to just throw it away
1: yeah, yeah
0: right right Yep. that is interesting though it'd be interesting to see you know as things progress i mean it's going to be tricky i think with with a couple of the characters uh not to spoil too much from end game but it's it's it'll be interesting to see as you know years go by in the real world uh who who they call back to kind of bring back into the fold a la you know the all the star wars ones like you're just saying like you know mark hamill and, and harrison ford and and carrie fisher and just kind of bringing them back in uh to to rehash their old roles uh decades later that would be it'll be interesting to see what marvel does and how they how they kind of revisit that and certainly i mean they've gotten really good already at kind of bringing characters uh Uh, into their films and youngifying them we've had plenty of that so so it'll be uh, interesting to see if they continue uh doing that yeah
1: i i worry a little bit that that the technology to youngify actors is is we're on the verge of using it for evil you know there's there is if there's a line we are dangerously close to crossing it and i i don't i don't know yeah it'll happen
0: well, I think we should uh, wrap this up unless you guys have anything else to say about this particular minute. No, I, you know, although I will say it's funny. I,
2: I uh, when you guys sent me the minute, I was like, well, let me see what minute they gave you. I was like, oh, they just gave me credits. No, well, that's not so bad. And then I, oh, man, I totally forgot there's this scene. So I, I was, so thank you for giving me such a uh, iconic minute as this one. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's an honor. So I hope I, I hope I did it justice. Well, it was a fun minute to ha- talk about. It we is. were thrilled to
0: have you on the show to talk about it with us. Oh, my pleasure. Well, Alex, uh, do you want to remind everybody where they can find you out there online? Sure. Uh, I'm the co-host of a podcast called Star Wars Minute. That's where we
2: do to the Star Wars movies, what you guys are, uh, did to uh, Iron Man here. Uh, you can check that out at StarWarsMinute.com or find it wherever fine podcasts are downloaded you can also go to my website comicbookalex.com where you can find out all about my other projects including my graphic novels and my other podcast Godfather Minute which is a hockey podcast <laughs> no it's, it's it's actually like this but we talk about the Godfather instead which is a good so, one so many minutes Thanks. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of minutes we are currently about 93. 93- two minutes into it i think so we have about another about another year and a half left to go because we only do one episode a week so it take, it's gonna take us a while
1: yeah right right yeah
2: and then on to part two
0: awesome
1: that's fantastic what a great set it is
0: well pete uh that's it we're at the end of iron man can you believe it And we
1: made it we, we have 126 it. minutes andy congratulations congratulations fellas thank you Ah, oh, that's uh, I can't believe that you're in season 7 of these. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz when did you when did you start uh your first wh- when was your first minute published, Alex? Uh, I think 13, 2013. 2013. We've done one
2: movie per year roughly, so uh yeah. So uh yeah, that's go. fantastic.
1: That's just great yeah i can't i can't believe we did it and i am uh, andy i gotta tell you i'm already looking forward to hulk i i gave it trouble i think uh i i insinuated that it was a troublesome film uh, and i can't wait to say that out loud in season two
0: <laughs> well <laughs> i guess i'm looking forward to that oh, it's mark? gonna be funny it's a, i will <laughs> tell you this
1: as a teaser it's a better movie than i remembered how's that
0: Hey, there you go that's the way oh, yeah. see this yep. is our little tease at the end right
2: Is this Ang Lee's Hulk or the Ed Norton Hulk? The Ed Norton one. That's
0: the the one that's in the MCU canon. So Ang Lee's is not considered part of it, but we may do that as a hiatus episode. That'd be a fun one to revisit for that. Well, everybody, that is it for season one of Marvel Movie Minute. Thank you so much for taking the journey with us. If you enjoy tuning in, please help get the word out. We'd appreciate it. Share it with friends, family, coworkers, your local barista, whoever it may be in your life. As uh, we alluded to, we will be back with the Incredible Hulk next year. uh, And watch your feed. We're going to throw out some hiatus episodes between now and then just to keep your bellies full. Until next time, true believers.